I'm going to pray, but I'm not ready to pray just yet. I want to recap where we've been and then pray specifically for this morning. So if you have missed the last two weeks, you would not be aware that we are in a three-week sermon series on the Holy Spirit. It's why we're in red this morning. It's why we're um, having the readings that we are having. And week number one, I taught us that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to give us new life. He's the Lord and giver of life. He gives us a renewed heart. We are born again, and we're able to have a personal relationship with the living God. We are able to know God. Then last week, I shared with you your work. Your work is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a command, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I challenged you a little bit. If you're not experiencing the fullness of the Holy Spirit, it is probably because you are not allowing that process to happen. And I bookended that with this week's sermon, which is going to be on assurance, the assurance that we are in God's hands and no one can snatch us out. And last week, I preached from Ephesians 5.18, which is the passage that says, don't be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in the middle of the week, someone came and and shared um, an insight about that. Because I really didn't want to make a comparison to being drunk from alcohol and to have the Holy Spirit, so I looked more at the contrasts. But they did bring out something that was really important. One of the things that is similar is the man or woman who is inebriated is actually carefree. They have cast off all their inhibitions, and they don't really worry about much. Unfortunately, they make stupid decisions and end up regretting their behavior. However, there's a good comparison there because the man or woman who is full of the Holy Spirit also has reduced inhibitions, that we have a freedom that comes from the Holy Spirit, and it comes from knowing that we are in God's hands. So this morning, I want to talk about the assurance of salvation, and now I'm ready to pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Holy Spirit, I pray now that you would help me to preach, and as we think about these great truths from Romans 8, that you would assure your sheep that you would give us the freedom, that we would not have fear, that we would trust you, and that we would have the joy that comes with assurance. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So grab a Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 8, which is one of the great places in Scripture that we will again and again and again return throughout our lives because it is so rich. In Romans 8, the Apostle Paul is writing, and in verse 15, he says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. The slavery is slavery to sin, that in Christ you've been set free from sin. And the the fear is fear of abandonment, that God will reject us, that he will not accept us. And he's saying, you did not receive that kind of a spirit. You instead have received a spirit that is one of adoption, that you are sons and daughters of God. This is for those who are in Christ. The, um, one of my favorite pastors, uh, J.I. Packer, scholar, um, uh, seminary professor, uh, teacher, uh, has a book called Keep in Step with the Holy Spirit. And in there, he talks about his experience with Christians over the many decades of his ministry. He's, uh, he's in his 80s, I think. Um, he's, he's been around a long time and has a really fruitful ministry. He says in talking with Christians, he finds that they do not have the assurance they should. 
that they are lacking confidence in God, that many times they don't have the joy they should. And he says, this assurance idea is something that most Christians sit back and wait for, like a mood. He likens it to a mood, which will come on you. You might be in a mood right now. You might be tired, you might be grumpy, you might be joyful, you might be happy or sad or whatever. Moods come and go. And sometimes we really don't know when they're going to come and go. It just, it just happens. And Packer says many of the Christians he knows treat assurance that way. It's like a mood. Sometimes I feel really secure in God and other times I don't. And when it comes, I don't know. It just, it just happens. And he is saying that although the Pentecost event was sudden and came upon those people in the upper room um, without really warning, they didn't know when that moment was going to hit, and the Holy Spirit occasionally will come upon you in a powerful way, that is not the usual means that the Holy Spirit uses to bring assurance. That's not the typical way it works. He doesn't expect us to just sit around waiting for him to assure us. And the usual means, Packer says, involve the words know and think. Know what the Bible says is true about God and his love for you, and choose to think about these things often. He likens it to priming a pump. If you think of the old-timey pumps that were in the ground, or if you've ever gone camping and they had like a well and you had to actually pump the handle, a lot of times it won't bring water unless you prime it. And you pour a little bit of water into it, which creates a vacuum, and now it starts to pump. That's called priming the pump. And he's saying, Packer says, that if we take time to know what the promises of Scripture are and choose to think about those things, we are priming the pump of assurance. What will happen is then the Holy Spirit will use that and will start to pour God's love into our hearts. We will become overfilled with confidence because we keep going back to what the Scripture says. Know what it says and choose to think about these things. Today I'm talking about this doctrine known as the perseverance of the saints, or it's sometimes called that. But John Stott says it should actually be called the perseverance of God for his saints. Because if you call it the perseverance of the saints, it suggests that you've just got to hang on, right? Your grip is what matters. Don't let go. Hold on to him. If you let go, you fall. But that's the wrong way to look at it. And instead of a grasping like this, think of two hands like this. If I let go of mine, it does not change the fact that I'm in his grip, that he is trustworthy. He is dependable. It is the perseverance of God on behalf of his saints, on his sheep. God is dependable. This, um, <clears throat> this last Friday, Heather and I had a little date night. A couple of years ago, I, I bought an old beat-up sailboat and got it functioning, and it's in the water, and it came with this old two-horsepower motor that's a two-stroke thing, and it looks like it's been through a, a war or something. And um, it... it it has failed me at times, or at least it's been a struggle at times, um, but it, it works for the most part. And Friday was beautiful, and we just kind of very calmly sailed down from Doctor's Inlet, and, and it was, you know, evening, it was a nice little breeze, and we got all the way down to the public boat ramp over at Eagle Harbor, and the sun goes below the trees, and I thought, okay, we've got about a half an hour, 45 minutes to get back. I was not thinking we were going to sail all the way back upwind. I was thinking we we're going to start the motor and go back to the dock. And... Um, we did both. We had the sails up, we started the motor, and we're going, and it's sun setting, and it's, it's all very nice. And then the motor starts making a noise. And then it just stops. And I think, oh, I'm out of gas. So I fill it up with gas. It wasn't out of gas. It had half a tank. I started again, and it went for another, and then it died. And then I started three times that happened, and then it was fine and got us all the way back there. Now, here's my point in this. Even though I didn't have the certainty or confidence that that particular motor was going to get us back before midnight, 
It got us back before midnight. It did what it was supposed to, even if it was a bumpy ride. And if I had a brand new, shiny, nice motor that just died and would not start again, I would rather have the beat up one that's a bumpy ride because it got us there. It got us to the goal. So it's the thing that matters, not my confidence in the thing. It's the trustworthiness of that, even though it's a bumpy ride. And what the Apostle Paul says about this assurance stuff is he points out there are real sufferings. Look at what he says in, uh, in that chapter 8, in, in uh, verse 17. He says that you've got this spirit of adoption, we're children of God, and if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Provided you suffer with him. So this adoption, this spirit of adoption, this confidence in God does not mean it's always going to be smooth and easy sailing. There are sufferings. And you know of them in your life, big ones and small ones. You know of other people who are dealing with huge ones. We pray every Sunday for people that are, that are in major issues. Life is hard, but God is good. That's the overwhelming testimony of the scriptures. Life is hard, but God is good, and he's trustworthy. And in the end, he will get you back to the dock, even though it's a bumpy ride. And so what Paul does is he then goes from from verse 18 all the way to verse 30 of chapter 8 of Romans, talking about the struggles, the groaning of creation, the Holy Spirit's intercession, the way that God will even redeem bad things and bring good from them. But the whole thing is about the difficulties of this life and God sustaining us through those things, bumpy though it may be. And um, I... I think about the collect that is one of the prayers in the morning prayer service that we've been doing. There is a prayer for Fridays. It's called a collect for Fridays. And it goes like this. Almighty God, whose most dear son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain and entered not into glory before he was crucified. Mercifully grant that we walking in the way of the cross may find it none other than the way of life and peace. Through Jesus Christ, your son, our Lord. Amen. My point in bringing that prayer up is that Christ, who is our Lord, went through great suffering before he entered into glory. And the Apostle Paul is saying that the present sufferings are not even worth comparing with the glory that is to come. And yet there are present sufferings. And it's the sufferings and the struggles that cause us to doubt God's goodness. But I want you to hear what the scriptures say. I want you to know the promises and choose to think about them this morning. Because in so doing, you will prime the pump and the Holy Spirit will do what he does, which is testify that you belong, that you are a son or daughter of God. It says right here, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So now what I'd like to do is I'd like to jump down to verse 31. And I want to look at five questions that the Apostle Paul asks that are unanswerable. There is no answer to these questions. There's not meant to be an answer. They are so profound. The first one is who can be against us? It's in verse 31. Who can be against us? Now, if the question was simply, you're God's children, who can be against you? The answer would be a ton of things. I mean, there are a number of things against us. Our own frailty and our failing bodies is against us. The sin that resides in us is against us. The enemy of our soul, Satan and demons, are against us. 
Sometimes our own family is against us. People that, that should care for us don't. You could just start going on and on and on about all the different difficulties. But Paul doesn't ask the question that way. He says, if God is for you, who can be against you? In other words, since God is for you, who can be against you? And in verse 30, right before that, he tells us that God is in fact for us. He says, those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And I know that our glory is yet to come, but Paul uses it here in the past tense. He just puts it all together. All things are accomplished for you in Christ. And later in this chapter, he'll say, you're more than a conqueror. So already he's looking ahead to that. He's saying that God is with you. And if God is with you, who can be against you? I love Revelation 20, the great battle, the defeat of Satan, and, and how anticlimactic this is. If, remember, God is for you. Who is, a, who is a worthwhile enemy? It says this, When the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison, and he will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and surrounded the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them all. (laughs) This huge battle multitudes, as many as the sea gather, they surround the saints, they surround the holy city. It's about to, you know, my kids were watching um, the Lord of the Rings yesterday. Hannah was like, I just need to veg out. I'm going into uh, the, the Middle Earth land of, of the Lord of the Rings. And she was watching the second movie. And there's a battle called the Battle of Helm's Deep. And all of the evil armies, 10,000 strong, are marching against these country people and a few knights. And they go into this stronghold. And, and you can hear like the, the feet of the soldiers marching and they look out and it's so many, it just looks like black grass across the land as these are, and, and then the battle starts and it's like, I didn't count how long it was, but it goes on and on and on so much so that they have to stop and then do a third movie. That's the scene here. But when they arrive and they show up for the fight, God goes, fire, done. Just like that. It, that's the battle. If God is for you, who can be against you? There is no opponent that is worthwhile. He is all-powerful. He's almighty God. And if there are difficulties right now, it is only because God has temporarily allowed Satan a little bit of leash to mess with this world. But in the end, when when God says it's done, it's done. It is not a struggle for him. There is no difficulty. That battle is easy. Just fire, done, like that. And then no more sin, no more enemies. The point is, God is with you, and he is strong to save. The second question, will he not also give us all things? Jesus, in his teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, says, don't be like the Gentiles who run after all these things, what they will eat and what they will drink and what they will wear. They're worried about all these things. Don't be anxious about these things. He says, seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. But here's one of the problems. He doesn't say they will be immediately added to you. And there are times when we have a real need and it's not coming. And we start to get afraid. Maybe God's not a provider. Maybe he's not a good provider. Maybe he's not going to help me in this moment. I'm hungry. I need something. I need clothing. I need food. I need water, whatever it might be. I need a job. I need, and it's not coming. 
And we can be tempted in that moment to doubt God. But see, Paul didn't word this question that way either. He didn't just say, will he not give us all things? Go back and look at it. This is verse 31 and 32. 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The fact that God gave up his son shows us how generous he is, how much he loves us. His most prized thing in, I can't even say creation, beyond creation, it's the son of God, and he's willing to give up his son out of love for us. And if he's willing to make that kind of a provision for you, won't he therefore prove trustworthy to be generous and provide everything else that you're going to need? That should give you confidence. There is, the answer to that question is, yeah, he will. He'll provide everything. He's a good provider. He's benevolent. He's kind, and he's generous. That is the overwhelming testimony of the scriptures. God is good, and we can trust him, even when it doesn't seem like it in the moment. He is good. His generosity is shown to us and proven in the gift of his son. And then the third question, who can bring charge against us? Who can come and bring a charge against you? You know, I was reading through our Bill of Rights, you know, Memorial Day weekend, I'm thinking about these kind of things and what a great country we live in. And um, congratulations, by the way, to Michael Field, who this week got his citizenship. Welcome, welcome to America. (laughs) He's lived here for like two decades, but what a gift. I was reading through the Bill of Rights and, you know, the, the Fifth Amendment has something known as the Double Jeopardy Clause, that you are not you will not in this country be tried twice for the same crime. And once you've had your trial and whatever the verdict is, you can't be tried again for that. And the same idea is, is here. Who can bring a charge against you? And he says, it is God who justifies. And if God has already looked at your sin and judged it and found you guilty, but then Christ paid the, the penalty for that, and now you're given his righteousness, who can bring a charge? It'd be double jeopardy. You'd be charged again for something you've already been forgiven of. That's already been paid. That debt has been paid. You are now free. So who can come and bring any charge against you? Nobody. So when Satan comes and accuses, you just say, get behind me, Satan. I'm already righteous in Christ. I'm forgiven. The answer to that is no one. No one can come and bring a charge against you. And the similar, the fourth question says, who is there to condemn? Who will condemn? Christ died as condemned for our sin. He died on the cross, and this was accepted. This sacrifice for us was accepted, and we know that because God justified him by raising him to new life, and then he ascended to the right hand. And it says, for Christ there is interceding for us. Right now, Christ is praying for you and me. You know, we have prayer teams, and we have an intercessory team in our church, but Really, that's just a little bit extra. We have one intercessor who's got it covered. Now, we do have to pray, but Christ is praying for us. He's on, we've got a man on the inside. Have you ever shown up like at a sports event or a movie theater to meet somebody and they went ahead and they, they got your tickets and they're already through the gate, but they're standing on the other side and you show up at the gate and there's like the usher or there's the people that are there, the attendant, and, and you go, I'm with, I'm with that guy over there. And he's holding up your two tickets and they go, okay, go through. You've got a man on the inside with Christ. He is up there, and he's already saying, this is one of mine. He's forgiven. Who can condemn? The answer is no one. 
There's no one who can come and and bring any kind of condemnation against you because Christ has already done the work and he's interceding for you. And then finally, the Apostle Paul comes to the last question. Who will separate you from the love of God that is in Christ? And at this point, he just goes into a litany of things that could, but they can't. So he goes right through. Um, Let me just read these to you. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long and are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, there's that assurance, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So life nor death. We know death is coming to us, a physical death, but those who are in Christ are already born again and have an eternal new kind of life. This will go on forever. It's like Jesus said in that gospel that we read from John um, chapter 10. In the gospel, he's saying, no one will snatch them out of my hand. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Such a powerful assurance there in the words of Christ. This life also, not just physical death, but the life and the struggles and the difficulties, those won't separate us from God's love. And then he talks about powers, angels and demons and principalities. The th- and nothing in the unseen realities can separate you. Nothing in the created order, <clears throat> the height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation. Nothing can separate you from God's love. No matter how hard it gets or how difficult or whatever the struggle is you're going through, he is assuring us that there is nothing that can separate us from this love. No one can snatch them out of my hand or out of the Father's hand is what Jesus taught. Now know what the Bible says. Choose to think about these truths. Rehearse them. Say them to yourself. Go over these things and the Holy Spirit will do what he does best, which is minister to you in your heart. He will assure you you will assure you that you are in good hands, that even if you let go, God does not let go of you. That's who he is. And I want to conclude by one of my favorite um, passages from the prophets. I want to go back to Zephaniah and read Zephaniah 3.17 to you as a concluding word. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Let's pray.